And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. new fancast to get you set up for the weekend a weekend that apparently is going to include uh, a little less uh, physical distancing we found out that the province is getting set to move into phase two drancer at some point maybe we'll get back together in the same room to record one of these podcasts uh, but we remain uh, socially distanced adequately distanced uh, doing it remotely but uh, nevertheless here to deliver the goods we can double our bubble, JPAT, and and get back to the Galleria in Edgemont, where we conduct all of our yeah. significant business meetings. I don't know if anyone knows this, but um, you and I have a long history of, of conducting very serious chats over uh, delicious paninis at, at the Galleria in Edgemont Village. Um, so look, I'd, I'd love to get back to doing that and to do an in-person episode uh, with you again. Man, I will look forward to that enormously. Yeah, no, I gather you, uh, and, and this is just a sign of the times that we're in, you had to pull off the surprise Zoom birthday <laughs> party for your wife. It was difficult. Like, I walked outside, I went onto my patio to, like, explain to everyone what we were doing, and then, of course, I go to my wife, and I'm like, love, I have a problem with my bank account. She immediately knows, like, she immediately smells a rat and catches me. She's like, are you doing something sketchy for my birthday? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at lying once I'm caught. And so then she's like, well, I just have to finish sending an invite to Lucas, like just like some person at work. Right. And I'm like, man, everyone you love is on the other line. Like this does not matter right now, but you can't say that. Right. And then we walk halfway to the computer and she gets a call from her grandma. So then she has to take like a 10 minute call from her grandma. I'm just testing everyone's patience on the, on the Zoom chat. Um, so, look, it was uh, it was logistically challenging, but but it, it paid off. And, um, you know, we'll always remember this version like. My wife's birthday, we usually go away for. So the last three of my wife's birthdays, we've spent in the Bahamas, at the Kentucky Derby, and in the Florida Keys. And this year, we were unable to leave the house. So, um, you know, we'll always remember it as the quarantine birthday, but I, but I think I managed to make it special nonetheless. I tried the, uh, hey, there's something wrong with my bank account uh, with my wife once, and she looked at it, and she said, yeah, make more money. Uh, so that didn't go over so well. <laughs> oh, that's classic hockey media stuff right there. <laughs> Love it. Hey, one bit of news that uh, we did hear from John Horgan, the Premier of BC, uh, when I talked about easing restrictions, uh, things like hockey and concerts and big gatherings uh, still not going to happen for a long, 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 long time. Uh, this wasn't, you know, necessarily breaking news. I think we kind of expected it. But look, if you're the Vancouver Canucks and other NHL teams, like I think you hear those types of warnings 
forget about trying to shoehorn what's left of this season that may or may not happen uh, into the summer months. Like, I think planning absolutely has to start taking place now uh, to begin next season without people in the seats. And, you know, that's going to have a massive impact on hockey-related revenue and the salary cap and ultimately salaries. Like, I mean, if they're not able to play games with people in the seats uh, maybe until the flip of the calendar into 2021, uh, there's going to be some significant uh, fallout out of that. Oh, yeah. F- I mean, f- could fundamentally alter for the medium term. Uh, I mean, probably will fundamentally alter for the medium term the business of hockey and, you know, what the cap looks like and how teams, you know, sort of build, how players are compensated, on and on. I mean, it's uh, it, certainly a moment that could fundamentally change our paradigm of of what the nhl looks like and um we'll sort of have to read and react as we go here jpat but i mean it's going to be a very tough slog for teams here and 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 for the league as a whole and and it's why you know everything here is so high stakes like it's why it matters so much that they get some games in and make sure that they protect that television revenue and find a way to you know build a bridge essentially to whatever normal looks like on the other side of this. We know that the Canucks want to be a hub city. Uh, You know, Edmonton has kind of been in front in that race, if it's a race at all, but Mm -hmm. uh, Edmonton's been out there for a while. Uh, We know the new rink in Edmonton, the practice facility that's attached to it, the hotel as well. Uh, My gut tells me that uh, Edmonton is, you know, ahead of the Canucks if you're handicapping this race. Uh, ultimately, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I mean, look, the numbers are, are good here in the province of BC. Uh, there is enough infrastructure. I can understand the Canucks kind of throwing their hat in the ring, whether it's uh, to generate and stimulate some business in town, whether it's to be good corporate citizens in the National Hockey League uh, environment, whatever the case. I mean, Vancouver checks off a number of boxes, but I, I still think if it comes down to Edmonton and Vancouver, uh, my sense is that Edmonton uh, probably has a little bit of a lead as far as uh, this race is concerned. Yeah, that's the sense I get as well. And, and you know, I think it just comes down to them having the newer facility. But when you look at the fundamentals in Vancouver, the availability of ice that's either NHL quality or could easily be made to be NHL quality. Um, and when you consider, you know, how flat our curve is here, the good news of the past week, I mean, con- new confirmed cases being under 10 um, you know, and, and this facility sort of experience hosting high usage multi-team tournaments, whether it's the Olympics or the, you know, world juniors or what have you. I mean, there's certainly a lot to like about Vancouver as a, as a potential destination, but obviously, um, you know, everything we're sort of hearing, everything that I've sort of heard is that Edmonton seems to be number one with a bullet among the teams in the Pacific division. Gino Ojek's going to join us here in a couple of minutes. Looking forward to that. Uh, but before we sort of go down memory lane with Gino, uh, you went down memory lane with Scott Cruikshank, uh, who writes for The Athletic in Calgary, covers the Flames. Uh, some fun there. There's, I mean, look, there's no current games being played, so there's been a ton of retro hockey and the you know 2011, that entire series where the Blackhawks has been uh, uh, chewed to death. Uh, but it uh, looked like a fun project to put together the oral history of that game seven that required overtime, the Canucks and the Flames in 2004. And uh, it was fun to relive Ed Jovanovsky's perspective uh, cooped up in the penalty box. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, honestly, I wanted to go back to this game. I have a really good buddy who's from Calgary. I went to high school with him and I have memories like I was in grade 11 
for this game, J-Pat. So I was, uh, I was very young, and I have this memory of him calling me after the Jovanovski penalty and gloating that the Flames had won, right? I, I mean, I grew up a Canucks fan. I'm obviously an objective media member now, but, you know, the... So I remember him gloating after the Jovo penalty, and I got to place this super triumphalist telephone call after the Cook goal, right? Where I was just like, oh, buddy, <laughs> just like laughing at him. <laughs> and he was just in a, you know, that world of fan hurt that people occasionally get into. Uh, so I have this really fond memory of this moment for, you know, obviously I don't have as fond a memory of uh, him calling after the Jelena winner. But nonetheless, like for me anyway, it's a it's a where were you when sort of moment. And so I wanted to go back and luckily everyone I spoke to was really game. Brendan Morrison, Matt Cook, uh, Alex Ald. I mean, they were, they were all great to talk to and, and had vivid memories of the series. And honestly, this is one of those that could have been twice as long. I mean, it probably shouldn't have been, but there's stuff in there that I might go back and, and sort of resuscitate uh, into its own sort of article uh, down the road too, just because they were so fascinating and it was such a fascinating moment uh, for this franchise. Yeah, and it was good to hear from Matt Cook. You know, I mean, it was such a huge part of those years and uh, obviously moved on and uh, played for a handful of other franchises afterwards. We haven't heard a lot from uh, from Matt Cook, so uh, that kind of uh, took me back. That was one of the things that stood out for me uh, in that piece. I know you also had a chance to talk to Thatcher Demko and wrote mm-hmm. uh, about you know, what he gained from his uh, brief fling as a starting goaltender. Uh, we also heard from Jacob Markstrom when he did his Zoom chat not that long ago that you know he had penciled in those games in Southern California a week after uh, the season had been halted for his return. So Demko was going to get a few more uh, looks as the guy, but Markstrom was uh, on the comeback trail. Uh, but look, I mean, it didn't start so well out on that road trip, the Ottawa game, the Toronto game. Uh, it was all right in Montreal uh, down early, but uh, kind of held the fort in that one, and they were able to, to win to start that road trip. Uh, but then he found his footing. When they came off the road, uh, you know, he seemed to settle into that role. And, and, you know, I guess you talk to him basically just about, you know, all that goes into being a starting goaltender at the National Hockey League level. Yeah, and, and just how he regarded that roller coaster of, you know, you come out the gate, you're thrust into the starter's role, your team's in a playoff race, it doesn't go well. How do you rebound? And then once you've rebounded, you know, you've, you feel like you have some momentum, all of a sudden it's done, right? Like I just, I thought about that and I just thought, what a difficult sort of three-week stretch that must have been for a young goaltender in his first NHL season and first full NHL season anyway. And so, you know, chatted with him and, and look, I mean, he seems like he's living quarantine right down in San Diego. I mean, he's got the new puppy, seems to be going kayaking, rollerblading. I mean, he seems he seems to be, you know, weathering this relatively well. But the way that he talked about the deeper meaning, learning about the deeper meaning of being a starter, what that requires, the sort of way you have to comport yourself, prepare, how much it changes life for him. And, and you know, goaltenders work really hard. I mean, they watch a ton of video. Ian Clark has them well-drilled. They're on the ice early. Like, they see a lot of shots, especially a backup, right? Like, a backup sees a lot of ice and a lot of pucks um, just in the ordinary course, especially when, you know, a goaltender, your starting goaltender, a guy like Markstrom, is as high usage as Markstrom has traditionally been, you know, under Travis Green. So, you know, I thought it was a, an interesting perspective and a fun conversation. I obviously appreciated him taking the time. And, you know, the way that he thinks about it, how deliberate and cerebral he is in considering not just the technicalities of his position, but the composition of the sort of me- mental demands on a starter and how he, 
you know, judges himself looking up to it, uh, living up to it, how he wants to, how he's used some of this time off to study it and improve. I, I mean, I thought that was a really fascinating perspective from a really thoughtful, like a typically thoughtful um, NHL player. Well, he's just getting his career started, essentially. Uh, Gino Ojek had a pretty good run uh, as a Vancouver Canuck and others, but uh, certainly in these parts, we still uh, think of Gino uh, as a Canuck. We're going to get to him in a sec. He's going to join us in the pod. we got a busy pod because we, we still got to name that Canuck ahead right. as well. We'll finish up with that, but uh, this is going to be fun, uh, getting to talk to Gino, uh, who uh, you know, it turned out was a pretty big part of the Canucks' 50th anniversary season here. We saw him a fair bit around the rink. Yeah, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to him about the zombie punch, and we'll, we'll talk to him about skating <laughs> on the ice um, in the, uh, in the you know, black flying skate jersey, and, um, you know, Pick at, pick at a few other things. I mean, we got to ask him about Pavel Bure. Uh, we've got to ask him about Michael Furland. Uh, so, look, yeah. really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, we'll get to Gino coming up here in a sec. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house board, uh, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their lawnmower, 3.0. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Nobody wants those. Uh, <laughs> shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Was it Al, Tom, that uh, sent you the photo grab of uh, his invoice that he had put the order in after listening to the pod the other day? It was Al, yeah. who, who, of course, also captioned um, <laughs> that uh, that he, he'll be... Um, He'll be thinking of Jeff the next time he looks below the equator. Um, thank you, Al. We love it. Um, also, JPAT, the it's a yes. TikTok line, and it's it's like a TikTok song that's like a classic, and it's bored in the house, um, in the house board. Gotta just gotta. Uh, so I didn't read it. Well, no, I mean, like you obviously read it effectively. I just need to also tweak you I'm, for it. <laughs> okay, good. No, yeah. fair enough. Uh, I read it the way it's laid out in front of me. <laughs> hey, get twenty get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code the athletic at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. Well, we've been looking forward to this for a little while and really excited to bring our guest into the mix here uh, Gino Ojek joining us on the VanCast. Gino, thanks so much for doing this. How are you? Good, good. Good morning, boys. Yeah, good morning, hey. Gino. When I ask how you're doing, uh, and I'm not just talking about uh, coronavirus and quarantine, <laughs> because let's be honest, six years ago, uh, the outlook didn't look that promising for you. And I remember those pictures of people rallying outside the hospital window outside of Vancouver General, uh, and everybody was concerned we were going to lose Gino. And here you are. Uh, it sounds like you're going strong. I see you around the rink, uh, most of the home games. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Everything's in remission. Um, you know, they said it'll come back, but hopefully it'll come back in 20 years when I had a full life and uh, I get to enjoy it. I'm really happy that I was able to pull through. I mentioned the fact that I see you at the rink. You're at most of the home games, and I know that you know, you were involved in some of the 50th anniversary season events as well. Uh, how much fun was that for you to be not just at the games, but to be involved from time to time this year? It was awesome. I, I All the guys that were involved were really proud to be part of 
the organization for the 50th anniversary. I know I, I spoke with Darcy Rhoda and it was a thrill of a lifetime for him to get out there on, on the ice and uh, be recognized. It was a lot of fun. The team did a great job. Gino, I want to get into that just a little bit because when you consider, you know, the battle that you had, the battle of your life, um, you know, with your health, and then you consider sort of coming to the point where you're able to put the old flying skate black jersey back on and skate out on 90s night, um, what did that reaction mean to you in that context? Uh, I meant the world. We, uh, to be able to get out there and, and skate with uh, Babbage and Ronning and Lou May um, was a lot of fun. Greg Adams was there. He came down from Phoenix. And uh, it was just so much fun meeting up with the guys and having a good conversation before we went out. <laughs> and uh, we had a couple of brewskis after, and the boys were really happy. <laughs> and the other sort of big involvement you had in the 50th anniversary is you, you got to punch a zombie um, for the <laughs> opening video. Um, how did that process, like, can you walk us through how they approached you, uh, how it was like to film on that day? And, and did you get to see the reaction, the laugh that that moment got the very first night it played in Arena? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, uh, Dave Tomlinson, um, he was the one organizing everything. Um, and he was telling me some of the guys, uh, Greg Mueller, who was the, the big bad uh, guy on the other team, uh, he, he was telling me it took six hours to get his makeup ready to get out there every day. And they were filming 14, 15-hour days. Wow. Uh, and, I, and I got there and... Uh, uh, I got dressed up, and I think I only was there for 45 minutes, but uh, <laughs> they were able to get it in the first couple of shots, and I was really happy with it. They did a great job. Hey, you know, what do you make of the state of the game now? I mean, you played. We know how you played the game and your role uh, within the game. Obviously, that kind of player uh, doesn't exist an awful lot in today's NHL. Uh, a lot of speed, a lot of skill. That seems to be the emphasis now. Uh, do you still enjoy the game the way it's played now? Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch how much skill and how, how fast the guys are. Um, these guys are stallions. They train 12 months a year. They go out there and they just fly. Certainly, I, I miss the enforcer role. I enjoyed going to games and uh, divisional games and knowing that there was going to be some rough stuff and someone would put on a show. I missed that part of it, but uh, the game is a lot of fun to watch today with these young guys, uh, how quickly they become stars, and uh, um, how they perform is just amazing. What's your sense? Uh, I mean, is fighting being phased out of hockey? Yeah, for sure. They're they're phasing it out. I know uh, there's a, Ryan Reeves does a really good job of uh, doing a lot of hitting and uh, Tom Wilson does a good job, too. Uh, Luchit slowed down a little bit in his career now, but he's still a guy that's able to get some hits uh, and be, uh, you know, these guys are still able to be uh, relevant in, uh, in the game, and uh, that's good to see. I wish there was more of it, but I think uh, going, going forward, it's just going to be less and less. Gino, we, we got to ask you about the story that, that Pavel Bure told us uh, at The Athletic in the fall 
uh, about you going to Moscow to see him, um, visiting the KGB headquarters, knocking on the door, and uh, and demanding to see Pavel. Can you walk us through? Like, first of all, can you verify it? Secondly, can you can you walk us through how that day went from your perspective? Well, Benesov uh, uh, was organizing a game, and he wanted to surprise Pavel and he to bring me down to Moscow. Uh, and then we would meet up uh, before the game, and uh, it would be a big surprise for Pavel. So Pavel didn't know anything about me coming down. So I flew from uh, Montreal to New York and New York to Moscow, and I get to Moscow, and uh, I'm waiting. Spetisov forgot about me. He didn't send anybody to pick me up. So uh, <laughs> I waited there for a couple hours, and then I said, Jesus, I got to go and, uh, and uh, find Pavel here. <laughs> so uh, I didn't realize how big Moscow was. I think it was like 12, 13 million people there. So uh, I asked the cab driver, do you know where Pavel Burry lives? <laughs> He's like, no. So I, he didn't really speak English too well. So uh, <laughs> I gave him $100. I said, Go to downtown uh, Moscow, and we'll see where what's going on. So there was a documentary of uh, of uh, Pavel and um, a guy he knew, and their offices got blown out. Um, and I remember what the hotel looked at. So I recognized the hotel. I went there, and I uh, said, "Is Pavel? And is he here?" And they said, you just missed them. I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where else to go. So I figured, I know, like, from Pavel telling me, the KGB, they always know what's going on. So I told the cab driver, bring me to the KGB office. He's like, no, 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 you don't want to go there. I said, bring me to the KGB office. So I knock on the door of the KGB office. And uh, they opened the door and they got a machine gun stuck in my face. They're like, what do you want? I was like, I'm looking for Pavel Burry. We're playing a, a charity game against the Red Army. And uh, uh, I told them the story about Fedosov didn't send anybody to come and pick me up. So, so within 15 minutes, they sent me to the hotel where everybody was. And uh, we met up with Pavel. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> do you know I, Pavel I, wasn't too happy with Petasov? <laughs> oh man, that's an unreal story, Gino. That would have been—I mean, you're a tough guy. Like you, you, you took on all comers in your career, but that would have been maybe a fight you couldn't have won. <laughs> well, I end up working out. I found them. <laughs> Gino, I just I just want to ask you about when you were in junior hockey in the CJHL. Um, you played for the Hawkesbury Hawks for Bob Hartley, and you know, fast forward through your playing career um, locally. You know, you're retired here, and Bob Hartley puts you in touch with a, with a young Michael Furland, who was sort of early in his career. Can you talk us through some of your experiences mentoring Michael when he was a young member with the Abbotsford Heat and, and what your relationship continues to be to this day? Well, Bob called me and he said he had this young guy who was really talented. Um, he thought that he can help the Flames. 
play against Edmonton and those type of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really high on him, but Michael at that time was young and uh, he showed up a little bit out of shape, a little bit heavy, and he was drinking a lot. So uh, management was really mad at uh, Mike. So Bob, you know, Bob says, come and talk to him. So I had a good talk with him and told him, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They're not going to come out, you know, often where you get a chance to make an NHL team. And uh, I told him, Bob Hartley, the coach, is really high on you. So, you know, all you got to do is, uh, you know, make sure. The one thing when I played, you know, I wasn't the most talented guy, but I made sure I was one of the fittest guys on the team to give myself a chance to to get some ice time and to play. So I told him, you know, you got to be in shape. You got to be the best fit player on the team. And uh, you got to take this opportunity that you have and make a life for yourself, for yourself and your family. You can set up yourself and your family for life if you take this opportunity. And uh, to his credit, Mike quit drinking and uh, um, started working out, lost about, I think he lost 35 pounds or something. And uh, he he made a career out of it, and he's doing pretty well. He was hurt this year, but he's a guy that can get you 20 goals and can protect your stars and finish his checks. You know, I I don't think the Canucks want him fighting. They just want him to finish his check and uh, protect Pedersen and and these type of players. Gino, have you been, have you been, I mean, when you see Michael now, you know, he's got uh, a family. He, uh, he posted on Instagram recently that he's two years sober, but obviously, as you said, he's, he struggled with some injuries. Have you, have you been in touch with him and and what sense of pride do you have uh, to see the progress he's made over the last 10 years? Well, I'm really happy anytime a first nation player makes it to NHL and, uh, you know, uh, gives the younger guys coming up, uh, you know, the belief that if they work hard and they have the talent that they'll be able to play too. So I'm really proud anytime there's a First Nation player. Um, Peter Leach, who's my friend, uh, who's, uh, who was my agent when I played, he keeps in touch with Michael and they talk to each other. And, um, you know, I guess he said that if the season would start now, he'd be ready to go which was a big surprise because everybody thought he was done for the season. Um, hopefully uh, we do get a chance and uh, we have a little playoff run here in Vancouver. It would be so much fun. You know, Furland was brought in to score some goals and mix things up, as you talked about. You know, we think in Vancouver of 1994 is the year the Canucks went to the final, and obviously they did do that. I look at that 93-94 season for you personally – 16 goals, 297 penalty minutes. You know how much guys are paid that would put up those kind of numbers today? <laughs> yeah, you know, but we got paid during my era too. Um, you know, we 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 didn't get paid as much as they're getting paid today, but the cost of living was cheaper back then too. So, you know, I got no complaints about how much money I made. Certainly I probably negotiated Harder, I could have made more money, but I wanted to stay in Vancouver. And uh, um, I really enjoyed playing the game of hockey. And uh, it gave a chance for me, me and my family to to be set up um, financially for the rest of our lives. And uh, 
I'm really proud of, uh, you know, how um, how the union fought for us when I played, and they did a great job. What do you recall about the events that led to 16 goals for you? What, what went right that season on the goal scoring department? I worked out with Pavel and his dad that summer. Uh, Pavel's dad's workout were just brutally hard, but... Uh, you know, like six or seven of us started the summer uh, working out with Pavel's dad, and by the end of the summer, it was only me and Pavel. So that's how hard it was. Pavel, uh, you know, his dad was his personal trainer, and he came from a background of uh, Olympic swimming. So uh, you can imagine the workouts were just uh, really hard and uh, ended up, you know, being in great shape and starting the year on Pavel's line. And um, just got a lot of goals just going down the wing and going to the off post and either getting a rebound or a pass for an empty net from Pavel. It's just been terrific to spend some time with you and uh, uh, you sound great, which I think, you know, I can speak for Canuck fans everywhere. Uh, that's terrific. And uh, just let's just finish up with a quick thought. I mean, you were back in the building. You hear those Gino, Gino chants. You've always had that bond uh, with the fan base. What does it mean to you to, to know that people still care uh, all these years after your playing days? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's been, uh, I got to Vancouver in 1990, uh, 30 years ago. Uh, and I finished my career in 98 in Vancouver. So that's 22 years ago. And people still remember it. It amazes me that uh, they still remember after all these years. Well, we really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to uh, join us here on the podcast. Uh, means a lot to us. So uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Have a good day and keep up the good work. Thanks, Gino. Oh, great All stories, right. Gino. Terrific stuff. That was amazing. You. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Good stuff with Gino, Tom. I, uh, that was terrific. I mean, some really good stories. I think we got him uh, in a good mood. Maybe he's a VanCast fan. Who knows? But that was good stuff. Uh, forgetful Fatisov is something that I won't soon forget. <laughs> um, but look, just just so great to hear him sound that well. And, uh, yeah. you know, a tremendous recovery. He obviously has a very special relationship with this city, with these fans. Uh, just a, honestly, just an honor to have him on. Like that was that was a lot of fun. All right, uh, let's finish up with name that Canuck, and I'll give you a bonus clue right off the top that it's not Gino, so you can scratch him okay. from uh, the it. list of potential candidates. I have a feel. I, I like this one. I have a feeling you might be able to get this early on. Uh, right. I think that there's enough meat on the bone here as far as the clues are concerned. Uh, we'll find out. I guess there's really only one way to find out. Okay, let's go. So here we go. Name that Canuck. Within the past decade, this player had a career in which he logged a total of 120 NHL games. 118 of them came in back-to-back seasons for the Canucks. He played one game in two other seasons for two other teams. So his career, I kind of muddled that. 118 games for the Canucks, one game each for two other teams. That's his NHL career in totality in the past In totality? Mm Mm-hmm. So played for the Canucks and played for no one else, and it all happened in the past decade. Oh, boy. Um, Oh, man. That's tough. Um, (laughs) Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. 
I'm trying to think of guys like Alexander Bolduc, stuff like that. I'm not proffering a guess. I'm just thinking out loud. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about guys like, you know, like guys who really sort of um, were like regular Canucks, but, but yeah. weren't. So that's sort of the, the tenor I need to find. Like a guy who only played for Vancouver, didn't really make it elsewhere, but played fairly regularly over two seasons. Um, no, Megna had a long career in Pittsburgh. Duh. Okay, I just got to guess. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess Victor Oreskovich. No. But, oh. you know, you're... Th- a good body. guess, yeah. You're, yeah. I'll take like, it. You're thinking out loud was... You're right. Like, that... It's tough. I mean, this guy... Yeah. One game each in two other cities, uh, bookended uh, by 118 games as a Canuck. Uh, I mean, his, I love okay, the clue. Second, his second clue. His three NHL coaches have been Barry Trotz, Joel Quenville, and Willie Desjardins. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so... Barry Trotz... Joel Quenville and Willie Desjardins. Oh, goodness. Um, man, this is a fun one. I like this, though. Like, I'm just sleuthing it through, you know? I'm just trying to think of who was on... Like, who was a marginal player? I mean, the problem is is that everyone was a marginal player on those Willie Desjardins Canucks That's true, teams. yes. Now, it's understandable um, why he didn't go on to great things uh, after that. Right. So, and he, he would have come through... Chicago and or Nashville and he would have had almost no success elsewhere um yes. oh man um oh boy um and over two seasons so he spent two seasons with the Desjardins era Canucks never made it never made it elsewhere um oh Oh, God. Um, I want to say Philip Larson just to make fun of JD, but I'm going to instead guess that we are talking about um, Michael Chaput. No. Uh, and, well, well, we'll finish up here. Uh, yeah. In his time with the Canucks, his top three defensive partners... No, I never even guessed a defenseman. In terms of even strength ice time, were Kevin Bieksa, Yannick Weber, and Adam Clendenning. Oh my goodness. So he's a lefty. Mm-hmm. Good. Got that I got that. <laughs> um, crushing it. Um, Bartkowski played in Boston, so it can't be him. Um, Ryan Stanton played with um, torts, so it can't be him. Um, man, oh man, I am really drawing a blank here. This should, I should get this. Barry Trotz, so he came through Nashville. He's left-sided defenseman, so he's a one. He's the rare left-sided defenseman who didn't make it. Um, Willie Desjardins. Oh my goodness. Oh man, I'm so upset with myself in advance, and I'm gonna beat myself up when I hear this. And Spiza, it's not him. No, you know what? I have to call you off the what? dogs here. You, no, I I messed up, and you was it Stanton? It was Ryan Stanton. Nice. And I thought his two years were under Willie D, but you have uh, put me in my place, so you get all three points. That's how the rules have to okay. work. Okay. 
What? Because you... No, I don't think that's right. I think I should... Maybe maybe we split it and I get two or one and a half. But I don't... I mean, I, I should have oh, got it. To, my job I don't deserve to have three. The, my job is to have the clues right. I, I effed up, so I'm... Um, and I threw you a loop when I said Barry Trotz because he played for Barry Trotz in Washington for a game after he was a Canuck. Ah, so. no, but that's okay. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't specify that it was Nashville and then Quenville. No, but I said his like, three NHL. I said his three NHL coaches have been Barry right. Trotz, Joel Quenville, and Willie D. So sure, but uh, no, I, I, I strongly disagree. I think I should get one point. <laughs> like I got, to, I got to Stanton. I think I should get one point. I don't feel like I deserve the three. I don't think it was a full answer. Like if I, if I'd known it was Ryan Stanton, I would have got it. I was just kind of working through my my names of Willie Desjardins well, era lefty. No, right. So I get. It, so I got so. it. Let's let's just say I got it at one. All right. Um, because I got, I would have guessed it in the event that the clue had been right. Instead, I'm like, oh, it can't be him because he played under torts, right? So let's just say I got it at one. That's my, that's well, my, that's how I, should we turn it over to our producer? He can be the, he can be the King Solomon here. Uh, sure. Should we bring uh, yeah, Jeff Dematt let's bring Dematt Jeff, in. You, yes, the birthday, you, we mentioned off the top, your wife had a birthday. It was his birthday yesterday as well. So Jeff, we wish you a happy birthday and you have to, you have to rule here. Oh my, I, I really, I think you're an awesome team player, J-Pat, uh, offering up the three points for Drancer here. Uh, but in our time of struggle, and all of us trying to get along uh, and do the right thing, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Drancer and, and split the difference. All right. So two well, points. Look, it, it was a very good podcast to that Jumpsuit. I feel like I've left. The, I've, I've left. I let the group down. I let the listeners down as well. I got to do better research on my part. So uh, I don't want to dwell on it because uh, uh, we had a great visit with Gino. That's the most important part of the pet cast or the van cast. Oh, uh, now I'm having flashbacks. Uh, you got me rattled. You got me rattled. I like that we asked Domet to to play King Solomon here, and he literally split the baby. And went with two yes. points. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Domet. Uh, good judging, J. Pat. Don't worry about it. Don't don't um, like man. You're 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 the pros pro. Like one mistake in in two years, like no one will remember it. All right. Uh, I should mention as well. Uh, San Jose Sharks, Brent Burns on the full 60 with Craig Custance this week at the Athletic. If you're looking for other podcast, I hope we haven't lost our listeners. They're all gonna like the mass exodus to find podcasts that work uh but uh, brent burns on with Custance this week at the athletic and don't forget to check out the comment section for each podcast episode at the athletic app say hello let us know how we're doing uh, what you want to hear what you think of the rules of uh, name that canuck don't forget to rate and subscribe the vancast on apple if you click on the show url theathletic.com slash the vancast you'll get 40 percent off your subscription uh, all right, we'll get things back on track uh, when we reconvene <laughs> early next week for another edition of the VanCaster Answer. Uh, have yourself a good weekend. We'll uh, catch you up You too, man. And, and bonus points to the VanCast listener who gives us a one-star review on, uh, on iTunes with the comment, Ryan Stanton, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> all right, we'll look for that. Uh, this has been another edition of the VanCast here at TheAthleticAndTheAthletic.com.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.